Today's episode, we have expert communicator and best-selling author of the book, Speak With No Fear, Mike Acker, with us. And he shares how to get unstuck. If you've ever felt like you're stuck, you're going to want to hear his advice. And he also shares some tips on how to improve as a communicator. In his words, he says, being a leader and being a communicator are two things that cannot be separated. If you're a leader, people expect you to be a good communicator. If you're a good communicator, people assume that you're a leader. Oh, you're going to want to listen in. There's tons of nuggets in this episode. So stay tuned. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives, the show that's made for Christian entrepreneurs. We're going to talk about everything from faith to business principles to family life to profitability to strategy to tactics to self-care. If you need it, we'll talk about it. I'm your host, Priscilla Shumba. Without wasting any more time, let's dive into our conversation. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have Mike Acker, and he is a speaker, author, executive, and communication coach. Mike, we're so excited to have you on. Please introduce yourself to our audience. And thank you so much, Priscilla. I'm excited to talk with you and talk through you to your audience and really help them take that next step, whatever it might be in their communication or their leadership. So for years, I was a pastor. And after becoming a pastor or after being a pastor, serving as a pastor for thousands of people and helping lots of people, doing lots of weddings, my wife and I decided to shift and I shifted into the corporate world. While I was doing that, both pastoring and the corporate world, I wrote a book. Then that book took a side hobby of mine, which was community communicating with communicators and coaching them, it just took it to a whole new level. So since then, I had to make a decision whether I was going to stay in the corporate world or go on my own. So I went out and started my own work and my wife and I moved during the pandemic. And here we are. So now full-time, I do keynotes for my office mostly, but I also do in-person. And then I do a lot of coaching high-level executives and CEOs and doctors and professionals. And then I do a lot of writing. And so I have some more books that are on the way out. And so (laughs) there's a lot going on. Very, very exciting. I actually didn't know that you were a pastor before. So tell me, Mike, how did all this get started for you to decide that you want to now venture into being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Some entrepreneurs, they plan to be an entrepreneur and it's a great way. You set a vision, you go, I'm going to go do it. And other people happen into it. So I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. My dad was an entrepreneur in many different ways. At one point in time, he was a pharmaceutical entrepreneur. He sold drugs. And then he was later an entrepreneur and he became a Christian and started a coffee company and then started a law practice at 65. My mom started preschool and some different things. They started mission work. So I've seen it. So how did it start? It started with the modeling of my parents. They were entrepreneurs. They started things. They went about and did that. And so it wasn't too different for me to start out and do stuff. Likewise, when I was a pastor, I had that entrepreneurial spirit and was constantly started things, started new campuses, new missions works, new ways of doing things and all kinds of new ministries. So when I branched out, And I had this little side hobby. What I didn't realize that the side hobby was going to keep on growing. And so whether you're an entrepreneur that says, I'm going to do this and you put together a big, huge business plan, that's one way to do it. For me, I more followed the breadcrumbs until I got to the cookie. When I got the cookie, I decided whether I wanted the cookie or whether I wanted to go back towards what I was doing before my wife and I went for it. Oh, I love it. I love follow the breadcrumbs until you got to the cookie. Now, since you did talk about your parents, and I found this really, really interesting on your bio, I said, I've got to ask you this. 
I read the sentence and it said, the son of drug smugglers turned missionary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad was in college and he was working just to put himself through. He had a BA in English literature. At some point in time, he found out that selling marijuana, and this is a total different age. This is in 60s and 70s versus the cartels and such now. And so he set himself out and said, man, I can sell some marijuana out of the back of my trunk and make way more money. And he did. And with his entrepreneurial spirit, he went and learned Spanish and learned how to fly planes and went down and really built for himself a very lucrative job doing that. Now, he'll deny all of that to today, but he has a book getting published here soon. It's called Pirates, Scoundrels, and Saints. When I read it, I thought, oh, that's my dad. That's based on his story. That's based on him. And so, I got to know that part of his life in a whole different way mm. because it was, oh my goodness, that's just incredible. I didn't even know. So, that was in, that was really interesting. And then my dad met Jesus when I was a little kid, about three, four, and my parents made a very conscientious decision to leave that life, to really devote themselves to the word of Jesus. Not just like a political Christian. Some people just are religious. They show up on Sundays. And they vote who they think a Christian should vote for. But my parents were very actively involved serving the poor. Eventually, we moved to Mexico because of that. We went to serve the disenfranchised and people on the outskirts and to bring justice to them. And even now, my dad is an attorney and he does a lot of work with people who need justice. So, it was quite an interesting upbringing. It made a lot more sense looking back at my childhood, knowing that my parents were hippies. I did not know until I was about 15. But when I found out, I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Wow, that's amazing. What you knew of them was the missionary side. And reading reading the book was like, okay. It was like my mom sat me down at 15 and said, it's time for you to know more of our story. And I knew parts of it, but I didn't know everything. And so she sat down and she told us all this stuff, but she wouldn't tell me stories of their adventures. And so that was when I was 15. So 25 years later, I'm reading my dad's book going, oh yeah, okay. That's what he did. And I've asked him how much of it is based on really what happened. And he says, uh, it's all it's all made up. Well, my, my mom passed away years ago. And so, he got remarried and his wife told me, no, no, no. And he's told me these stories now. And those are a lot of those are stories are based on real things that happened. <laughs> wow. That's an amazing story. You talked about your best-selling book. It's called Speak With No Fear. What is the premise behind your best-selling book, and why do you think it connected with so many people? Yeah, it really actually has astounded me because it's gone on to get more than 500 reviews. And on Amazon, it's been nominated for several different lists. Some colleges have picked it up. I'm actually going to be re-releasing the book as a second edition here soon. Just made some edits. I cleaned it up a little bit. And one of the reasons why I think it resonates with people is because it's not just another book on skills and what to do on stage. There's a lot of books that say, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, If you want one of those books, get the best one from Carmine Gallo, Talk Like Ted. That's the skill book out there that you need. All these other ones, they're small takes on what he does and they might add a little bit here and there. And I've read a lot of them. So, there's a couple good ones that are highly rated and then there's all these other ones. The reason why mine gained purchase in this flooded market is because I didn't do the same thing. I didn't approach it like that. In fact, some of the critique has been it's filled with stories. But that same critique has been what a lot of people said, wow, that's what resonated with me. Here's a guy who he's sharing his own story. He's not just telling me what to do. He's inviting me into his own failures. I had to overcome his speech impediment as a kid. Moved to Mexico when I was 10 years old and I had to learn how to speak. I had to learn how to do all of that. And 
be in front of people. And then I moved back to the United States and I had some bad stories of speaking. And so I had to continually overcome some challenges. And so when people read it, they go, oh yeah. I mean, I've literally had people say things that are amazing about the book. One guy picked it up in the Minnesota airport and he met with me in person. He said, this is my Bible, which felt a little bit sacrilegious. However, it was testament to how much it meant to him. And he said, I felt like you were speaking to me. And that's been really cool. Another aspect of why I think the book has done so well is that I'm not a person who was born speaking. I mean, like you talk to somebody who just has a natural ability to do something and it's hard for them to teach you how to do it. How do you play basketball? I just do. Versus how do you play basketball? Well, I practiced a lot and I worked really hard and I did this and this and this. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, I was a person who wasn't natural. I had to learn. So, because I learned, because I went through the difficulties, I can help people along the path. So, what's the premise? If I can do it, you can do it. If I can overcome anxiety and fear in place of darkness where the room felt like it was closing in on me and I started hyperventilating and never wanted to do that again, then so can you. Here are some strategic steps and motivation to do so. Ultimately, it's not that you want to speak with no, no, no fear and erase fear. You want to ease yourself from having debilitating fear of speaking. And when you do, your health is going to be better because you're not going to have that anxiety, that nervousness that racks your body. Your relationships are going to be better because you're going to be able to speak clearly and confidently and your work life is going to be better and your financial life is going to be better. So, I absolutely encourage people to overcome any level of debilitating fear of speaking so they can see the rewards on the other side. Yeah, but that sounds amazing. And I think hearing you talk about it, like you said, sometimes you read a book of a person that you see and they just look perfect. Right. And you see yourself as never being able to get there as much as you may want to be like that person. You don't ever see yourself for some reason being like that person. But if your story is open, then it connects in a different way. That's really amazing. Now, you frequently write, where you are is not where you stay. Right. Why is yeah, that important is, to you? It's really something I saw on my own parents. They were in this life of illegal activity and they didn't stay there. And because they chose to make differences, because they chose to go a different path and move us from an exciting, yet albeit illegal life to a more conservative little small town life, town of 2,000 people on a little cul-de-sac, it really changed my life. And so, they chose not to stay where they were. Really, the choices that we make, make us. And when we think about that, we realize that where we are, if we're in a spot of victimhood, if we're in a spot of anger, if we're in a spot of nervousness, if we're in a spot of lacking confidence and insecurity, that we can make choices to change that. That so much of life, like 10% of life is what happens to us. 90% is how we respond to it. So, what choices can you make so that you can get to the response you want? That quote, by the way, was by Charles Swindoll, a great Christian leader. I've lived by that many times. Okay, this happened to me, but it doesn't have to define me. I can choose to go somewhere else. Okay, I'm in this spot of whatever it might be of insecurity, but I don't have to stay here. I can travel. So, that statement gives hope and it's ultimately so true. You find it throughout the Bible. You find it in all kinds of literature outside the Bible. Just because you were here doesn't mean you have to stay here. You can get to some other spot. And it's not always that you get to the spot you want, but in the effort of going somewhere else, you arrive at a different destination than the one you started. That's really powerful. When you were talking about that, it took me back to your parents. 
Sorry, I really love that story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and just the way you say, the same excitement that they found in living the life that they were living, they brought that same excitement, even the way you said they lived as Christians and really pushing the envelope was bringing that same kind of excitement just to a different way of life, you know, still the core of who you are, just in a different place. A lot of times we come across people who feel like where they are, they're just stuck. They know they want something different. They just don't know what to do. Or maybe they do know what to do, but for some reason, they just feel just stuck and hopeless. Yeah. I would tell them, look at three different relationships. You need a relationship that's going to pull you out. You need a relationship that's with you in it and a relationship that's looking to you because when you have someone looking to you, it changes how you behave. I mean, how many parents have had a messy life and then all of a sudden they had a kid and they changed their life? Mm -hmm. So, if you're stuck, look to find these three relationships. Find someone, even if you're not intimately acquainted with them, but it's an author that you admire and you go, okay, I'm going to be like that person. I have lots of long distance mentors I've never met. Then find someone, go out and make friends. Go, go find someone. Go to a church setting or a group or some activity and find that person so you're not in it alone. And then look to be in a place where you're serving someone. Become a big brother. When I was 22, I used to go to a, or 21, I used to go to a local elementary school and read with a fifth grader. He was behind on his reading and I would just sit there every single week. I would show up for an hour and read with him. And because he's looking up at me, it changes the way I'm acting. So, when we have people that are looking at us, all of those start making a shift. So, find someplace where you can serve, where you can have a relationship and where you have someone pulling you out that can help you jumpstart you moving away from where you're stuck. Thank you for that. That really brought some practicality into how we did. Because, you know, a lot of times you get hyped up with the motivation, but you're still stuck with, I don't know what to do. Right. So, I'm like, why is communication so important for business leaders and for entrepreneurs? And I'll probably follow yeah. that up with how can a new or early entrepreneur develop their communication as a leader? The way that we develop leadership, let's start right there, is much like exercise. How do you get in shape? You have a plan and you stick to it over the course of time. So communication is much like that. Have a plan, have an area that you're attacking. Come to awareness of what you need to. So a lot of people don't even have an awareness and they come work with me and I work with them. I have programs I take them through. But you can't get anywhere unless you do it repeatedly over the course of time. And it might mean that you're just doing it to yourself, but you're still practicing that communication, that skill, that technique. So whether it's with a coach, whether it's in a program, whether it's self-taught, whether it's on YouTube, whatever it is. You're watching, you're learning, you're talking with someone, and then you're practicing, 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 practicing. You cannot become a better communicator without practice. doesn't mean that you're practicing in front of people. Sometimes you're just practicing to yourself. Why is that important? Because leadership and communication go hand in hand. In fact, if you're a great leader, people expect you to be a great communicator. If you're a great leader and you can't communicate well, people will actually devalue your leadership based on your poor communication. This is why I have several CEOs who I end up working with. They find me and they say, you know, I started this company. It's grown to this and really incredible. But they realize that their lack of communication is holding them back. On the other hand, if you're a great communicator, people will assume that you're a leader. How many celebrities do we look to for leadership? Now, they have no leadership. They're not leaders. They're celebrities. But because they can speak well and present well, people assume leadership of them. 
So these two go hand in hand and so important for us as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, as executives, as pastors, as whatever it is that we're using our communication to the best of our ability. It's really true what you said about good communication. People just assume that you are a leader because you, you speak so well. I'm thinking of the audience of the early entrepreneur, Mike, and I'm thinking of a solopreneur. You know, you don't have a team yet. You want to work on yourself and develop your communication skills. So what would you suggest somebody start with doing exactly? Exactly. Well, there's a lot of mirror work that you can do with a book. And just standing in front of the mirror, looking at the mirror and pretending it's like an audience and speaking to that person. If you do that every single day for two to 10 minutes, just speaking from a book or or even using the book as a go-getter, like a starting point, and then from there you talk about it. So I'm reading the book and then I pause and then I extrapolate ideas from it. And really right there, you're working on the ability for you and your mind to, to correct the message. You're working on your skills during that time because... You're looking at yourself and seeing how you're standing, you're watching, you're smiling, you're thinking through your enunciation. So even without any coaching, without any program, you just reading and doing it extemporaneously in front of the mirror is going to help you. You're also going to come to terms with who you are. Take it to the next level, record that and watch it back because then you're going to listen to your true voice because I don't hear my true voice. I only hear my true voice when it's recorded and played back to me. And we got to come to terms with our voice. We got to come to terms with how we look. We got to come to terms with our identity. So watching it, thinking through it and evaluating ourselves. So mirrors one way, take the next level, record it and watch back and being aware of it. So much improvement starts simply from awareness. My fifth book is uh, coming out here soon. It's on emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence starts with awareness. So does improvement in communication. So if you're not aware, you need to become aware. And then once you're aware, you can start working on the different areas. Well, you've given us some work to do. So (laughs) thank you for that. (laughs) Now, Mike, since you did mention your new book and it's about emotional intelligence, I'm trying to get you to give us a little sneak peek into what's coming our way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited about it. It's a lot of fun. You know, I've realized that there's been times in my life where I've been very emotionally intelligent. Other times I'm not. For those not familiar with emotional intelligence, the idea is that you have your IQ, you have your competency, your your skills, but then you have your way that you manage your own emotions and the way that you manage yourself when you're around other emotional human beings, which is every single person. We're all emotional human beings. We all have emotions running through us and our emotions motivate us. Our emotions sometimes can make us do something or we allow them to make us do something. So how do you become emotionally intelligent? How do you, instead of being controlled by your emotions, how do you control your emotions? How do you, instead of going up and down, how do you become stable and steady? That's what emotional intelligence is. The ability to regulate our emotions and ourself around the emotions of other people. And so I was working with really an incredible keynote speaker on this. And I was not aware of what he was speaking about, but I knew he spoke on emotional intelligence. So I decided to dive in and really study the topic. And when I studied the topic, I found out that really emotional intelligence can be thought about like this, me, them, us, what's going on inside of me, what's going on inside of them, and how can we, us, connect together? And so the framework of the book is in those three parts, deal with yourself, understand them, relate together. 
And so that's coming out in June. I'm super excited about it. It's called Connect Through Emotional Intelligence. As a speaker, I'm always thinking about how to connect. So I wanted to put it through that framework right there. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Very exciting. As you're speaking, I'm thinking of the application for entrepreneurs. And I really see it there because like you said, as you begin to bring on team, you can actually ruin your reputation as a leader. You can ruin your company by just failing to control your emotions around the people that you're partnering up and with the people that you're working for. So we're looking out for that one. That's going to be a good read. One question is, how does one shift their mindset from a place of fear to a place of taking action? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So that's actually the whole subject of the Lead with No Fear book, kind of a follow-up with the No Fear series. We chose seven different strategies to be able to do it. Someone like my Speak with No Fear book. And once again, it's going to be one step at a time. So we actually talk about in that book, a three degree shift. The idea being this, if I'm the pilot of a boat or a plane, if I want to change course, or if I'm not aware of the course of action, and it changes even by a subtle three degree shift, a tiny, tiny, tiny degree, it will arrive in a whole different continent. So a small shift can change your mindset. In the book, we walk through seven of these. The first one is from moving from victim to leader. A lot of people think in terms of what has been done to me. And instead of saying, I survived it, and now I'm going to go be a leader, it's woe is me. I think one of the most classic people who's overcome that is Nick Vujicic, born without without four limbs. And he talks about this and in his own speaking. He says, you know, I was at a point of desperation, despair. I was down. I was just depressed. I mean, woe is me. What was I born with? Look what life gave me. Very much victimhood. Well, when you're a victim, then... There's nothing you can do about it, but a survivor shifts and survivors, look how I made through. Now, one of the most famous survivors of the Holocaust and and then concentration camps, Viktor Frankl went on to write these books that inspire so many other people. So when you go, you know what? I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. Something happened to me and I definitely was not the perpetrator. It wasn't my fault. So in that sense, I was victimized, but I will not be a victim I survived it. I survived the atrocity. I survived what life gave me. I survived it. And now, now that I'm a survivor, I see that I have resilience and I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be someone who leads myself and leads others. So really, how does someone get there? First of all, identify your mindset. What thoughts are you thinking? I mean, as I worked with some people today, even before recording this, I was asking this one person, what, what's going on in your mind? And there were negative thoughts. I can't do this, or they don't believe this of me. And we're not talking about teenagers I'm working with. These are professional men and women who have these thoughts going through their mind. The whole imposter syndrome can be summarized as a mindset of ultimately victimhood. Change it. Now there's more to it, I know. Change it to, I survived that, and I will survive that, and I'm going to lead myself out of it. Since you touched on imposter syndrome, yeah. let's start with what it is. <laughs> is where you don't feel like you belong and that you are not the real deal. So if you're a lawyer and you're working with other lawyers, you feel like you don't belong with them. And yet people see you as a lawyer, but you don't feel like it. So it's like you're acting like somebody else, but on the inside, you don't feel like what you're acting is real. Is that common? What causes that kind of like imposter syndrome? There are going to be so many different things that cause it. A lot of times it's because we're trying to be someone we're not, and then people start seeing 
who are not. And we start feeling this disconnection between who people see us as and who we are. So more and more, we need to collapse the two, grow ourselves, and collapse this external shell. In the book of Speak With No Fear, I talk about the strategy of UBU. And I became a pastor when I was 26 years old. And so now I have all these adults and I had several people who are educated way beyond what I was. And they're yet coming to the church that I was pastoring. And again and again, I'm getting up there to speak in front of people. And at the beginning, I felt what was then not a popular term. Now it's all over the place. But I felt what would have been described as the imposter syndrome. They see me as this great orator or this pastor. I feel less than. And yet I wasn't being true to myself. I was actually trying to, I was trying to act the way that I thought they wanted me to act. Well, anytime we're doing that, we're really setting ourselves up for failure. So ultimately I came through a self-exploration, a discovery who I was and really allowed myself to be me and improved that. And I kept on working on being a better version of that, but ultimately not getting caught in this trap of trying to be someone else. Anytime that you're trying to be someone that you think everybody wants, you're going to end up setting yourself up for failure. And it's ultimately going to lead to what's been called imposter syndrome. It's a lot to think about. (laughs) Thank you for that. I know you touched on this a little bit, but maybe you can just add a little bit more to this. Now, how do we lead ourselves as business leaders? Because you said we start with leading ourselves. How do we do that? Make your bed every day or floss your teeth every day. First of all, what I like to do every day is I I like to make the bed. And the reason why is because it makes me remember that I'm in control of my day. And my wife never even gets to see it. By the time she comes home from work, my son and I have already wrestled on the bed. It's already crazy and disorganized again. However, when I make the bed, I'm in control. And leading yourself is ultimately about making healthy decisions little by little that get you to the place that you want to be. And think about it. If you want to be strong, what do you do? You work out every day and you discipline yourself to work out. Now, a lot of people, they want to jump to the next area. They want to skip ahead. Okay, I'm you know overweight. Now I want to be buff and 50 pounds less than right now. We're not going to jump there. Leading yourself is not about jumping to a destination. It's about doing things daily or weekly so that you can get to your record. You can get to where you want to go. So maybe in Q1, you say, I want to make this amount of money and this is the steps I'm going to do. I'm going to discipline myself to take steps. So every day I map out my day and I discipline myself to stay on track. Yesterday, I came to the 30-minute increment where I was going to shift over to something else, and I was still working on something I had disciplined myself to stay in track. So I'm not letting my day just get away from me. I'm taking concrete discipline. I'm working on something. I'm choosing how I'm going to behave instead of it going everywhere. Think about it like this. Your money can lead you or you can lead your money. A lot of people, they get money and they start spending it. Or you can budget your money and stay on budget you'll actually feel like you have more money as a result of it. That's you leading your budget. That's you leading your money. Take that and apply it to your own life. Lead yourself. Don't let life just happen. Do it purposefully. Do it incrementally. And over the course of time, you'll get to where you want to be. Success is not when it gets celebrated. Success is what you do along the path that's going to get you to a place of celebration. So I said, I like what you said about daily taking steps to be in control of what you're doing as a business leader, like the example you gave about what you're going to do in this quarter. Wow. Amazing. I think our audience is going to love this episode because it's got a lot of practical things for them. What is the number one book that you would advise an entrepreneur to read? There are so many. So I'd say, which one are you going into? But one of the ones that have 
influenced me at a young age was the 21 Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. It's just one of those classics. Before everybody was writing on leadership, John Maxwell was writing on leadership. And some of the principles in there have just stayed with me today. Like to go up, you got to give up the law of sacrifice. A lot of them are really common knowledge, but he puts them together in such a way that you go, oh, yeah. So if you haven't read that, that's one of those early classics and I absolutely love it. Now, who is someone that you admire and why? I have so many of these stories that sometimes it's hard for me to remember which one because I'm like, man, that person and that person and that person. When I look at my parents, I really admire them because they gave up a fun yet illegal lifestyle for their kids. When I look at my friend Chad, I met him and and he was kind of like this kind of crazy youth pastor and I was 17 or so. And yet he has been the most consistent person in my life. But one of the people that I really admired was uh, what is in seventh grade or no fifth grade. He was in seventh grade and we're in Mexico and we meet and his name was Andy. And I just did not know how much of an influence he would have on me. He taught me bad things. He taught me good things, but the fact that he wanted to be around me and hang out with me meant the world to me. And I think even if you think about how to influence someone, if you show that you want to be around them and want to hang out with them, it's a great way of influence. Now I look back on that and go, okay, mm-hmm. where would I be without Andy? I'm probably naive a lot longer in life, yet maybe I would have gotten in some trouble and I wouldn't have done some good things. Mm-hmm. So some things that I still like today are because of Andy when I was in fifth grade. Uh, that's the power of influence. I like that how you broke that down because a lot of times we think about how do I influence people? It's become this topic that's like out there somewhere and you're trying to figure it out. But there you go. Andy just showed us the key. So thank you for that. We always end with this question, Mike. What has faith meant to you on this journey so far? Yeah. You know, it's been an interesting faith journey and I've gone the ups and downs that many people have. And ultimately in it, I see that God has been with me all the time. Sometimes it does not feel like it. There's been moments in my own life that just felt like God abandoned me, that God didn't like me, that God wasn't answering. I remember there was a period of time where I was doing everything right. I mean, if I look at that period of time and go, man, I was praying like I should. I was reading the Bible like I should. I was going to church like I should. I was doing everything that you would say, wow. And as I prayed very specifically and prayed according to scripture, God chose not to answer in very clear terms. And so when I look back at that, it's easy to resent that period of time. And I did for a while. I ended up going through part of the reason why I chose to go out of ministry was I had gotten to a spot where I resented God and I had asked things and talked to him and he had led me to a place where I didn't want to be. And it was hard. And I felt like he was more against me than he was for me. Now, some time has passed and you are able to look back on it and see where he was. And while I don't understand everything and why it seemed like he ignored my request, I look back and go, okay, I don't understand everything, but at the same time, I see that you were there. And so that presence of God in my life from a, a young kid all the way till now has been huge. Faith isn't always being sure of it. It's trusting that it's there even when you're not. And there's been times in those journeys where I've just had to go, you know, it doesn't seem like you're there. It doesn't seem like you're answering. It doesn't seem like you're for me, but I trust that you are. And currently it's leading me to an incredible spot and I'm really loving it. But I mean, it's definitely been ups and downs. And Mm -hmm. 
good thing is that as a Christian, the Christian faith is not based on what you are doing. It's based on what he's done. I mean, if it was based on what we're doing, we just go up and down in a roller coaster of in and out of salvation. But because it's based on what he's done, it's steady. That even when we're all over the place, that he is steady and right there. Thank you for that message. Now to the audience. To connect with Mike, please go to advance.asme slash confidence. Is that right, Mike? That's right. You That's can set right. up a call with me there. You can also Google Mike Acker or look at my book. I mean, it's pretty much all over the place. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. And thank you for sharing so much value with us. We absolutely appreciate it. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. So I hope that when your book does come out, um, your emotional intelligence book, that we'll get to talk again. And I'm sure this will be great again for our audience. So thank you very much, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Priscilla, for having me on the show. And for all those, make sure that you're sharing Priscilla's show with everybody else so that she can reach out and extend her influence and help others. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do leave a review and let us know what kind of guests you'd like us to bring on and what exactly it is that you'd like to know. Also, connect with us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives or visit our website, www.reinventingperspectives.com, where you can grab a free preview of our latest book, The Christian Entrepreneur's Toolkit. Thank you so much for listening in. We absolutely value your time and we value your input. Have a great day.